1: Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 92nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, where I, your host, Mac B., the Wolf, take you on a journey of prog rock, hard rock, classic rock, early MTV, everything that he loved growing up and has grown into over the years, with his partner in crime, Gary Action Jackson from the East Coast of the U.S., and we try to lend a little perspective on bands we love, and sometimes bands that do well in the U.K., but not in the U.S., and and vice versa. It's always an interesting dichotomy of who makes it where, and and, and why they don't in certain places, and why the fan bases just take to certain people and, and not to others. And we appreciate you tuning in last week for our Talk with Chris Preston of uh, Rock These Tweets and, and My Rock and Roll Heaven. Great guy, huge Def Leppard fan, uh, who just saw his 15th Def Leppard show uh, on the stadium tour in Toronto. Uh, and he gave us a break, great breakdown of the Def Lepps and Motley Crue, Poison, Joan Jett. And it provided a nice contrast to Action Jackson's show that he went to in Jacksonville as... Jackson got pelted with rain, and all the sets were cut down, and he didn't get to see everybody, you know, quite as long as he might have liked to. Versus Chris was indoors, because he was in the old Sky Dome, in the Rogers Center, uh, and they put the roof up, because they thought it might rain. So suddenly it's a huge indoor show, which changes the dynamic. And it's kind of made for a cool talk. Chris is a great guy. and Hopefully you tuned in for that episode. And talk about a band that's super popular in America, but not nearly as popular in their home country, that's Def Leppard. But one that hit huge success kind of everywhere is Genesis. That really didn't happen until the 80s, Till so they were really the threesome of Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford, and Phil Collins, and they started that way in 1978, and then had huge success, a lot of thanks to MTV in the 80s, not to mention Phil's solo career, uh, nudging along the success of Genesis as well. But for a lot of Genesis fans, the real Genesis was in the 70s, with Peter Gabriel. Uh, who was, went to school with Mike Rutherford. Tony Banks was the original lead singer, which Phil Collins entered uh, in 1971, and Steve Hackett, the legendary guitar player, who's still doing it today and who has been a guest on this show on episode 87, talking about his recent tour, Seconds Out Live, and his upcoming tour, Foxtrot at 50. And that's why we're reading Foxtrot today, because it is about to turn 50. It was a big album for the band. Yes, Peter Gabriel, Mike Rutherford, Tony Banks had been together since high school and started the band there. Uh, and they grew up. They made a couple records. They had to make a couple of changes. And bringing in Phil Collins and Steve Hackett really solidified this huge level of individual talent in the band and really started to open up some avenues of all the different textures and sounds that they could create uh, in Genesis. So they started together with Nursery Crimes, the five of them, in 1971. It kind of took a toll on steve hackett i think Uh, i think it was he was kind of new to the big world of big touring rock bands and it kind of took a little bit of a toll on him he wasn't sure if the guys really appreciated and thought he would he would just step out they said no no you you did well and i think they had a a great tour of italy that went down very well and and they got some good exposure there another date in england went well for them and and got them some good exposure and gave them some confidence like hey we, we can do these live stuff we can write longer songs and more thought-out stories. And so Foxtrot, on the second side of Foxtrot, there is a 23-plus-minute song epic called Supper's Ready with all these time changes and time signature changes, chord changes. Gabriel changes his lyrics and his tone quite a bit throughout some of the stuff. It's really kind of amazing. It's a kind of a mini rock opera on one side, although it's not the only song on that side. It's basically the whole side of Side 2, Horizons, a, a beautiful Steve Hackett acoustic piece, is a little less than two minutes right before it, but this kind of gave them some confidence to go out there and really create something epic. The way Yes was was starting to go, because it wasn't long after this that they came up with Tales from Topographic Oceans, and right uh, before this was released in 1972, Yes released Close to the Edge, and Phil Collins said that he was listening to Yes quite a bit and going to see them when Bill Bruford was their drummer, about maybe once a month to give him some inspiration and think about what he was going to do on his end with Genesis. So there's some great songs in here that would go on to become classics within their genre. Classics for the real hardcore fan, but never really made a huge dent on the charts, certainly not in America. Trot did get in the charts in the UK, but not really in America. But it was from this tour that Peter Gabriel started to get a little confidence to, alright, I'm not going to tell the guys, but I'm going to come out in a dress, in a fox head, just like on the album, and really freak some people out. And guess what? It worked. It got people interested. It got them on the front page of Melody Maker. It got them more ticket sales in the US. You know, And it gave them the confidence to kind of build that theatrical side of Genesis that would continue through the next couple albums in the Gabriel era, namely Selling England by the Pound and A Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. So that's what we're going to get into here today. Now, as usual, we want to remind you that we are proud members of a Pantheon podcast network of amazing music podcasts. And we have some buddies who've been on the show or we've been on their show, like Paul Stevenson of this Day Rocks, and Vintage Rock pot uh, like Tom and Zeus of the Shout It Out Loud cast, like Jay Scott of the Hook Rocks, and like our dear sister, Christy Alexander-Hallberg, whose new show, Rock is Lit, will be coming out September 15th, so look out for that wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we love our sponsor. Great synergy and a great opportunity for you guys who are record collectors to get a good deal on pristine, mint condition classic records, and that's rarevinyl.com. If you haven't been to rarevinyl.com, You need to go now. You can also go to EIL.com. It's the same company. They've been around about 40 years, and they have over a quarter of a million items in stock. It's amazing. I've been there. I've met every single person who works there. I've been through their stock rooms. It's a great team, and it's a huge amount of stuff in great condition. And if you use our code, PODCAST, You get 10% off. It's not just one purchase. It's every purchase you make throughout your lifetime buying from them. So go check out rarevinyl.com or eil.com. Use the code podcast. Save yourself 10%. I've done it. I know a few people do. It's an amazing shop. You can get whatever you really need there, and you get it hard to find in great condition. These people really know what they're talking about, and we did have one of their record buyers, Mike Winbet, on. I believe that was episode 89. Oh, and be sure to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And know that you can reach out to us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf and at actionjack72. You can also email us, uglyamericanWerewolf at gmail.com. So with that, with no further ado, let's jump into Foxtrot at 50. It's Foxtrot, the 1972 classic album by Genesis, right here on the Wolf. <laughs> so looking into foxtrot i mean obviously look we've been we've been becoming steve hackett and old school genesis fans for these last couple of years here right <laughs> correct kind of started with me i got way into him about eight seven years ago whatever it was saw the some of the parts documentary found steve hackett's solo music likes wow this is fantastic All right, and then let me go back and hear some of the old peter gabriel steve hackett genesis tunes I kind of got into it, but I didn't get into all the albums all at once. You know, I didn't like buy them all or just listen to them all at once. It kind of started to go a little bit one by one. And sometimes I had a Greatest Hits album that would have some of their bigger songs, but not all of them. Obviously, I got into Seconds Out a little bit, which is their second live album uh, that was released right after Steve left the band, really. And that's what Steve has been touring on for the last year or so, and and still has some dates to make up later this year. But he is on September 9th in the UK starting his Foxtrot at 50 tour. Mm -hmm. And Foxtrot turns 50. In October, so October 7th, October 6th, October 8th, somewhere in there is its 50th release date. So I thought this would be a good one to go over because we have some familiarity with some of the songs, but we don't know all the stuff. And you know, we're not Genesis experts. It's not like we've been listening to this stuff for 50 years and listened to it in college and got way into it. So I don't know. I thought this would be a fun one to do because there's some familiarity. It's stuff we've been gaining a greater affinity for. In the last 18 months to two years. And it's kind of part of the story. Plus, we get to promote Steve's tour and the live album. Steve Hackett, Genesis Revisited, Seconds Out, and More. Which comes out September the 2nd. So there's a lot of Genesis Hackett synergy
3: here. In the old school Genesis world. That's right. Yeah, th- this was an interesting record because I had not really heard of this one before. Um, I-, I was familiar with the the title of it, uh, seeing it, and the the album cover, which... I guess was a pretty big sore spot for the band. Seems I don't think anybody way. really liked it. Yeah. They had it was it was I think it was the same people that had designed earlier record covers for them, which they loved. And this one was like, Yeah, I don't I don't really get it. I don't understand what's supposed to be going on here. And there's no there's no like foxtrot single or right. a track on there. So you tie it in. So yeah, it's, I think they've grown to appreciate it in years after it. But on initial release, I don't think anybody liked it. Yeah, and I guess Paul Whitehead is the British artist who
1: did, he did Trespass and he did Nursery Crime before, so they figure, oh, let's stay with him. He worked with other uh, artists on their uh, record label, like Vandergraf Generator. Over the years, he worked with a lot of different folks, Lindisfarne, which is a another band that we might want to become familiar with. They were Genesis label mates and, uh, and toured with them during this time. Yeah. The, but you're right. I mean, the band didn't seem to like it. It was like he was trying to get, uh, and you have to look at the whole gatefold, right? It's not just the cover, which right. is a Fox in a red dress on an iceberg in the sea. fold <laughs> it out. Uh, and then what would be the back cover shows four, I think he was trying to do an odd take on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and there's one alien, like a green space alien. Yeah. There's maybe one monkey, like Planet <laughs> of the Apes type monkey. There's a dude wearing garters and uh, and hose or stockings, whatever you want to call it, and it almost looks like he has a, a very long nose. It's hard to zoom in on some of that stuff. The the one between him and the and the monkey. I'm really not sure what it is. Is it someone <laughs> blowing their nose? Is it a squid person?
3: I, I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. I would have loved to have been at the orig- at the initial meeting where they come in with this thing and they're like, okay, what do you got for me today? And they pull the the sheet off of the uh, the large painting and they just say, "Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what what is happening here?" And and I'm sure for the artist, I, I don't know. They're British, so who knows how they conveyed that? Because we'll get into that in a minute about. Other aspects of the band, but yeah, I can just the disappointment of oh yeah, okay. Well, don't you like it? It, Sure, it's. Adequate. Well, you know, I don't know. And then Hackett was
1: like, I, I liked it more after you explained it to me, and the more it sat with me, right. the more it made sense. But does that really translate in a record store where it's like flip, 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 Genesis
3: Foxtrot, you get
1: three seconds. Right. right? I mean, you don't get the explanation. You don't get to ruminate it on it for a few days. You know, it's like, does this hit or does it miss?
3: And it's interesting now, if you want to look at, the, at all album covers, you have something like this, which, you know, it might be too much going on. And then you have you know, like back in black, which is just black. And you right. pick it up and you're like, oh, what is this? This is really cool because it's nothing.
1: Well, I'm glad, I mean, especially today, because it seems like the artwork is going the way of the dodo, right? It's just not mm-hmm. as big a thing anymore. People get it on their phones and it's it's not like you zoom in. It's not like you, it's a big 12 inch thing that you look at, you know, every inch and you pour over it. There's a front and back, maybe a fold out in the middle, who knows? So, I mean, I'm glad that it's being a little different. It's It is artistic. Uh, it's just, it's a little odd, but I mean, it's one of those, if it was in your collection, you'd probably be one of those things that you would stare at a lot, right? I mean, dark side of the moon comes a year later. Okay. It's a prism. I get it. You know? Yeah. But this one is, Hey dude, come check this out. Look at this. This is an alien. What is this? Is that a woman blowing her nose Is it a squid person? What are these condos doing behind them? I don't get
3: it. (laughs) Are there whales? Why is the, why is the Fox? Why is the Fox have, is oddly attractive with the dress on. And I don't know what's happening here on an iceberg Wow, man. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure once you get into it. But yeah, like I said, that initial drop the sheet and oh, okay, it's got to be just heartbreaking for the for the artist. Right. But you're right. I think that 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 was such a big part of us growing up, even in the CD age, you know, just flipping through. I don't know what this is, but if the if the album cover caught your attention you would pick it up, turn it over, see what it was. Do I know this? And if it didn't, you would just keep flipping.
1: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, uh,
3: you know, Genesis
1: was at an interesting time now. I mean, this was their fourth album release, Mm -hmm. but only their second with Steve Hackett on guitar and Phil Collins on the drums. The original founding members from, they were school lads together, Peter Gabriel, Tony Banks, and Mike Rutherford, you know, had, had been doing this, really for, for six or seven years at this point. They were their school band, and then they kind of got their first record deal, and they started touring around. But, you know, they played a lot of gigs around Europe, and yeah, they'd seen some success. You know, they, they got in the charts in Italy. They did a big Italian tour before this record came out, and they gave them a little boost, you know. I think it gave them some, like, hey, yeah, we, we really can do this. And I think they played a big festival in Lincolnshire in, in, uh, in the U.K., that also gave them a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, it drew some attention to the press. But part of that is because Pete's starting to dress a little
3: oddly now, right? Right. Correct. Which apparently was not something that he ran past the band every time. Sometimes he would just show up and go for it.
1: I know. I know. And he was shaving that little front part of his head, like right here, just, just a little bit there. You see all sorts of pictures of him from the 70s like that. It looks extremely odd. But I guess that was the point. He's like, look at this weirdo. We're going to put him all over the newspaper, which, you know, is is, must have been what he was looking for.
3: Well, and and that was one of the things, too, that he said initially when he broke these things out, they were, you know, these were stiff upper lip Brits. You know, what is this? I I don't think that I like it. Wait, he's on the cover of Melody Maker? Well, maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe yeah, this we do like. Yes, we do like our name up in big print on the front of this thing. Yeah. So sometimes, yes. I mean, it, and I think Gabriel even said if he had run this past the guys, he probably would have been shot down. So sometimes you say, I know this is going to work. I'm just going for it. Well, Banks says it clearly in some
1: of the parts. Yeah. It's like, good thing you didn't ask, because I never <laughs> want to do it.
3: <laughs> yeah. And and again, Gabriel did say something about how, like, you know, it's a democracy, but not really, because <laughs> some people, he said some people mm-hmm. have more control over it than others. I can only imagine he meant Tony Banks. Okay. And yeah, he said something, too, about the first time he broke out the the red dress with the fox uh, the fox head on it. Right. We're in like Dublin or something yeah, in like a boxing ring or something like yeah, that <laughs> he's like even though like today it's a lot more progressive there in you know in 1972 or 73 whatever it was they really didn't want to see a guy in a dress in a in a fox's head that didn't go over real well It wasn't Bizarre. accepted as yes wasn't accepted as art. But it gets you
1: on Melody Maker, and then all of a sudden, you've got more people coming to see you, uh, even across the pond in the States, you know. So, you know, that that stuff works. Now, our boy Steve was still kind of getting his feet wet in the band. He was still, I think, building some confidence because, you know, the the three founders had been doing this for a while and together and were confident in their abilities. Phil Collins kind of comes from a performing family and, uh, you know, was a professional musician before joining Genesis. Steve was kind of, I think he describes himself as a legend in his own bedroom at this point. He had been in bands, but not like big touring bands and not recording (laughs) bands, you know. So, you know, he, uh, he wasn't feeling great at the end of that tour. He thought, maybe I shouldn't do it, but they convinced him to stay because they liked what he did. And though he wrote material that they demoed, not much of it got on, but a lot of the stuff that would eventually go on his solo album, Voyage of the Acolyte, he actually demoed a little bit with the with the band, including Shadow of the Hierophant with Mike Rufford, which which he eventually put on Voyage of the Acolyte and still plays to this day.
3: And here's where I think that we as people need to be a little nicer to other ones because apparently Steve was like, he didn't, he thought he wasn't cutting the mustard in the band. And they had to sit him down and say, no, 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 we really like the way that you're playing. Well, why have you not said anything? I mean, I don't know what's going on. I was getting no feedback. So yeah, you're I, right. I think he was just. He was like, I don't even know what to do. I don't think they really like me here. I don't think they like my playing. You know, when you when you bring stuff in and they say, yeah, 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 it's great. And then you don't use it. What's going on? But then at the same time, too, if you're in a band like this, you have to accept that all of your stuff is not going to get used.
1: For sure. you know, And it's also coming into a situation. You've got those three who have been at school together. Right. Uh, they're they're kind of rich kids and they kind of know what they're talking about because they've been doing it a little bit longer. The other new guy is Phil Collins, who has kind of a big personality and is quite a musician in his own right, right? So it, it maybe it took him a little while to find his footing, but he's done some really good work on here, and he does mm-hmm. have a, an acoustic composition, which we'll get into. But it, it took him a while to kind of find their way. I mean, they, they, they kind of had false starts with different producers. They did a non-album single, Happy the Man. Which have you heard that one, Jackson?
3: No, is that is
1: that good? It's totally different from the album. It doesn't fit on the album at all. It, you can tell that the record company was probably looking for a hit single. It's like you got to get something that's on mm-hmm. radio, right? You can't have these nine minute epics with all these chord changes and all that stuff. And and so yeah, it's a three minute song. It's very acoustic. I did make some notes on it that I can share with you. It, it's it's a happy little song, really. It's it's upbeat. It almost has a super tramp kind of happiness to it at the beginning yeah and it's talking about a guy who doesn't have much and doesn't need much you know and then even some of the acoustic stuff sounds like they were listening to a little bit of zeppelin three and four right which were out at the time Mm -hmm. not the heavy electric guitar from jimmy but but a little bit of that acoustic stuff with a little bit of pop polish and then seven stones which is off nursery crimes was the b-side to it so they, they did release it as a single Uh, I don't think it did any damage in in the charts. And it's not one I don't think they played a whole lot because it just didn't fit. It was almost like we're going to do something different and then we're going to go back to writing what we really want to write.
3: Yeah, and, and I can imagine at that point in time, it's it's hard because the record company does want they're in business to sell records. So right. what is it that's going to sell records? A twenty-three minute track? No, stop that. You need right. singles to go on the radio. Absolutely
1: true. You know. So yeah, I mean, this is your fourth album, which I mean, back then it was like, all right, this is it now. You know, no more right. goofing around. Whereas now it's like you get half of an album, maybe. <laughs> you
3: know.
1: They released the first single. If it doesn't do good, you don't even get to finish your record. Like, that's yeah. it. But so, no, they, they you know, they finally, they, they had a couple of different folks on there. And what was it? John Anthony produced Happy the Man. They're like, nah, we don't want him. They tried out Tony Platt. Nah, they don't want him. So they got Dave Hitchcock on to do it. And they, and they started to go, you know. And, you know, they reworked some older stuff. And they tried some stuff that would eventually go on to be on other albums. I mean, Tony brought in an early fifth of Firth. or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Firth of Fifth which of course would would end up on selling England by the pound which we review on our 28th show.
3: Yeah, um, but so apparently, they're they're creative. Yeah, and apparently the the record company wanted this guy Bob Potter and they had a they had a meeting with him or something and they, or they were working with him and they watched her in the skies was brought up and he was like, yeah, I don't like that. And Banks was like, and you're gone because we're that's what we're going with. So if you don't like it, uh, bye-bye. So yeah, they they did bring in a couple of different people. But I mean, I think, and, and I'm sure the, the record company at that point was pulling their hair out because it's like, no, we told you to work with this guy and now you're fighting back. So what is this thing going to turn out to be? Obviously, you don't have a clear path of what you want. Which wasn't the case. They actually really did.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, these are smart guys, and this is not their first time out. They've they've started to find their sound. They've got a lot of talent between the five of them Mm -hmm. instrumentally. And if you could put some of the parts together, it it really is pretty amazing, you know. And when you listen to Watcher of the Skies, you know, with that kind of heavy duty Mellotron, you know, at the beginning, which I think you picked up from King Crimson, it's got an otherworldly kind of feel to kind of start off the album. Definitely feels electronic for sure and a little bit ominous you know to, to start off here but it, it's it's a it's a cool song and it's one that i've liked ever since i've come into it in the last seven years or whatever the, the lyrics don't exactly roll off the tongue it's not one you kind of bop and sing along to but that mellotron drives a song it's not drums or guitar like we're used to
3: right and yeah it almost sounds like church music at the beginning you know, like you're sitting there, like in one of those old school cathedrals, listening to somebody play the play the organ. Yeah, th- I think Mike Rutherford was saying that it, it, this one, this was kind of a mess because mm-hmm. they 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 wrote it as an instrumental, and then they then the tra- the vocals came in on top. So there's a lot going on in this song, and I think I think Rutherford said something like. You know, you've got to write lyrics that even even though they're cool to read and say, right. you have to be able to sing them. Like, they're real, by the time you put everything together, there's no space on this track. Like, it's just chock full. You're right. You're, you're <laughs> so right about that, you know. And
1: there's not a lot from Steve on here. There's not a lot of guitar. Right. Phil puts in some some pretty cool drums in there. There's no doubt. And it almost sounds like Tony is doubling mike on the base a lot with his mm-hmm. Melotron, you know of course it was it was the titles taken from a line of uh, the 1817 sonnet on first looking to chapman's homer by john keats which is one of my favorites and i know you like it a lot
3: absolutely
1: god these private school
3: boys i, <laughs> I yeah, quote it uh, almost daily too by uh my conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was and then banks also said it was loosely based on childhood's end by
1: arthur c clark arthur c clark i know who he is because he had TV shows. (laughs) I don't know his books because I don't read books because I'm a stupid American. That's why, (laughs) you know, and the watcher race of extraterrestrials from Marvel comics that I might understand because they have that, they have a TV show on that.
4: Right.
1: (laughs) I also saw a note where, where Collins felt he needed to, to up his game a little bit because he'd been listening to yes, which means he'd been listening to Bill Bruford. Who's very jazzy Mm. Uh, because Alan White didn't join till September of, of, 1972. If he, was, if he saw Genesis Live, he saw them with Bill Bruford and that was the inspiration. Of course, Bill subbed in on the drums as soon as Phil became the singer
3: for a bit of a tour before they found Chester Thompson. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it it's interesting to listen to this, too, because you kind of forget if you started with the the 80s, Phil Collins, how I mean, not that he was not a great drummer, but how great he really is when he's not singing. Yes, he's, he's killing it on this record.
1: He's really good. He's a talented drummer, talented musician overall you know mm-hmm. uh, the song's a little ominous and it's about maybe what would aliens see if they came to an empty earth what would they see but i, I think it kind of all comes together and it's a great prog rock tempo song i mean it's, it's a good way to start off the album
3: yes yeah and, and i'm glad that they stuck to their guns and didn't give in to the record company and put it on there because i think that it's aged pretty well and it it while it's dense when you first start off on it it turns into something that you can, it's very listenable to upon re listening.
1: Right. Yes. And it was actually released as a bit of a single. I don't think it did any damage anywhere. It was back with part of Supper's Ready, the Willow Farm bit. You know, uh, they had to have some kind of a single off the album. So that's what they went with. It cut down a little bit, of course. You can't put, what is this, a seven and a half minute song or something like that? You can't just put that out as a single, but they. They, they trimmed it down, as so many singles are, and they went with it. And the thing is, what's interesting is, all songs are credited to the five of them. But we do have notes on who actually wrote these songs. Right. And, and that was the that was everyone but Steve Hackett. And that's probably why he doesn't have a whole lot going on in the song. But I'll tell you the song I didn't know and I really like here is the second one, Timetable. Okay. Because I'd never heard, this is not on any of the Greatest Hits album. I don't think it's any of the live albums. Uh, and this is one banks wrote on his own, basically, and there is a lot of piano in this for sure, but it starts sweet, just piano, not a hard rocker, and then it's you know it kind of builds up a little bit it's it, it's a it's a very medieval kind of theme to it, kings and queens, days long gone that kind of thing what What did you think of this one?
3: I liked it because it was a little more. There wasn't as much going on in the track. This was kind of like you need a little break after the the Watcher. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, like you said, the the piano intro at the beginning, it fits in, but it's not. It's it's just like a, it's a little bit of a rest, and I like what he does with on the piano. And was this one of the ones that he brought in from an earlier session? I'm not sure if it's an earlier
1: session or if this is one that he just had been working on and like it, mm-hmm. it's pretty well put together here yeah there is a lot of piano and keyboard from Tony but I mean I like what Rutherford's doing on the bass here you know he's there's no it, Tony's not doubling him or anything Mike is doing some good funky stuff on the bass here I I like it a lot and then at the end of course it kind of fades out with lots of piano but this could have all been almost been a single it's it's under five minutes it's it's a nice song it's the lyrics, of course, I don't think are going to grab anybody because, again, it's just a little odd. I mean, all these are <laughs> are kind of over your head, and and they're all kind of
3: proud of it.
1: I feel like it's like nobody's yeah. going to understand this, right?
3: Yeah, no one's read these books, correct? Yeah, I've, I wonder why they did not put this out as a single. There was only the one. Who knows? But I think you're right. It could have definitely been a single.
1: I think it would have made a good one. I, you know, I think people would have. You know, you're talking about time and space, and you know, looking. Uh, for the answer i mean that's something we all can relate to so mm-hmm. i don't know but you know probably look the first single with the happy the man single went nowhere the non-album single and then watcher of the skies goes nowhere there's no reason to put out <laughs> another one right? you know, it's, it's like let's put out a live album well actually i think the live albums because some concert got screwed up genesis live i think they're going to do a big concert at wembley and then the ticket printing Got screwed up or something oh, like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And to yeah. recoup money, they put out their first live album or something like that. But uh, timetable one I was not familiar with because I don't know the Foxtrot album that well, and I I thought it was a nice one to find to get to know.
3: Yeah, and and that's always we've said this before on the show. That's really what the the great part about listening to a whole album is—you discover these tracks. They they just fit, and you love them.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Now, track three, Get It Out By Friday, <laughs> this is one that I do know. And, and Steve's been doing this for years. And I, I mean, this is a pretty cynical look at the at the world with a few archetypal characters all played by gabriel this is mm-hmm. this is almost roger waters like and this is before dark side of the moon but this is very kind of roger watersian like the rich man is out to screw all the working people and the i mean he he's lording over the guy who goes out to do his dirty work the nice people get kicked out of their home the guy in the pub's just reading the news about how we can't be more than four feet tall. It's it's a dystopian future set what September 9th, 2012, 10 years
3: ago, Jackson. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I always I always love that when they do that in the future, 1997, This is gonna okay. <laughs> We've been there, done that. And I guess this was going on a lot in England at the time and I'm sure it everywhere else too, where they were they had like I guess rent controlled or something, apartments. And if you could if you could get these people out, you could revamp it and then rent it for three times as much to right. the new people so they had scams to to get them out mm-hmm.
4: they, you know oh we'll
3: move you somewhere else or something like that like they called it a like a wrinkle or whatever or mr a, winkle yeah yeah doing that that technique and then the whole thing about making everybody four feet tall so that you could fit more people into the building like, that's right that's a horrible thought but it actually makes a lot of sense because you, you know if you're looking at it from a dollars and cents perspective Absolutely. And I do like the fact that Gabriel is doing the different characters, too.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and a little woe is me when he's doing the old lady who's kind of moving away from the other place. Mm -hmm. I I think Rutherford and Collins are both great on this one. I think the rhythm section kind of keeps this going. Because, again, you get Gabriel telling the story of the greedy landlords and everyone involved. It's not sing-songy it's not rhymey i mean although it does rhyme uh, in spots it's just you have to pay attention you have to follow and if the beat is off or it was kind of weird uh, then it might throw the whole thing off but because those two were so locked in i don't know i I think it works i think it all
3: works yeah and i think it's interesting too that uh, colin said at this point in time he was he was going to see yes once a week oh yeah uh, and really trying to up the really trying to up the game as far as the musicianship and this kind of sounds to me the bass at least sounds mm-hmm. very yes to me very chris squire on this track
1: yeah and what was going on with them in in 1972 well they're doing close to the edge which mm. which came out you know just before just before foxtrot did they're doing stuff like fragile
3: about fragile, fragile yes. came
1: out yeah so fragile came out and so and they're kind of showing hey we're lead. Prague people here Mm -hmm. but yeah eight and a half minutes it's got some ups and downs in it it's written by the whole band except collins but john hackett steve's brother who is a great musician in his own right and is still touring uh he gets a co-write on it i don't know it's 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 so there's a passage of time in the middle of it and you get to 2012 and there's a big slowdown right slows way down Almost a stoppage. And then it builds back up. It's kind of a, a medieval or baroque music in there. And then it's back to the greenheads winning in the end. And heaven is the next thing you, you must invest in to get where you're mm-hmm. going. It's kind of like, you thought we had a chance, but nope, nope, we're we're all under the thumb of these rich pricks, you know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it goes like that today
1: (laughs) and it's really no different
3: folks.
1: (laughs) sorry to burst your bubble but a pretty epic song i mean eight and a half minutes and it doesn't watcher the skies is fairly benign there's a lot going on let's get them out by friday i don't know it's it's a classic and uh Steve and his band do it really well. Nads, Sylvan does it very, very well.
3: Yeah, I'm talking about Steve Hackett and his new record that's coming out, I was I, I watched part of it. And to see Nad sing that, he does a very good job of approximating Peter Gabriel.
1: Yeah, which is his job. That's his role mm. uh, in the band as it is. Although, I mean, depending on what they're going to play on any given night, he has to sound like Phil Collins too sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which isn't easy. But, I mean, he has a very distinctly gabriel-esque sound to him most of the time and when he does this one i don't know i think it i think it pours out of him i think he really embodies peter's voice very well hi this is steve hackett and
4: you're listening to the ugly american werewolf in london
0: listen now go to americancriminal.com or search for and follow american criminal wherever you get your podcasts
1: next is one i also like can utility and the coast liners and hackett did the the lyrics to this one apparently is a co-writer with with Tony and Mike. Not one of the more common ones that you hear from, but it's it's one that builds and and crescendos in a lot of different ways, you know.
3: Yeah, and it's interesting because here's another one that's it's has to do with what did I write down now? Written by Steve Hackett, it's King and it's C N U T Knut, I guess, of Norway and the Legend or something, which yeah. again we've all heard many times before. No. Uh, (laughs) But it's just interesting how you can take something if you're a musician and be inspired by it and then put it to put it to music and how and how that translates forward into the song. And you can definitely tell, like you said, everything is credited to the whole band, but you can tell different, like, oh, oh, I can see how, you know, if there's more guitar parts in there, you can tell this is Steve Hackett's got his hand on this a little more than in other tracks.
1: That's right. you know, And I, I do think at the end, Tony has a lot to do with this one. Uh, but it starts quietly. They do a couple of verses. And then it picks up during verse 3. And it starts to you know build some steam here. And the drums come in, and the momentum builds. And it calms down for a while. There's a 12-string interlude which then starts to build again. And we've mm-hmm. got this ominous mellotron. You can really hear the hum in the background. And then fast-paced on the acoustic guitars, whether it's six-string or 12-string. But I think the break after the fourth verse is how the song is best known. It's it's kind of banks keyboard work that really is the signature part uh, of this, you know, towards the middle end. That's when you when you think of Can Utility in the Coastliners, that's the sound that really defines it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But I'm kind of interested towards the end, you know in that kind of bit what is rutherford doing on that bit before it becomes totally tony's thing he's doing some crazy stuff on the bass there i'm not even sure what all it is <laughs> i mean eventually tony takes it over but boob-a-la, boob-a-la, you know it's boob-a-la, boob-a-la, boob-a-la. he's doing some really cool stuff with his harmonics there i don't know but it's it's nice and then it becomes tony's thing and steve gets in on there too you know so i don't know it's 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 a, It's only. It's not. It's only. It's not quite six minutes. So it's the third longest of the four songs on the first side here. But I don't know. I, I. It's a. It's a different kind of song. But I like it.
3: I think it fits in well. I think it's one of those ones like you were talking about. The what's he doing at the end, Mike Rutherford? Mm-hmm. You really wish you could have seen him. You know, kind of recorded and you know what's going on. How is this fitting into it? Because sometimes on something this dense, things get lost. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to pick up on a certain part and see how it fits in with the rest of the song.
1: Well, they also said maybe it had something to do with, because if it's based on this King Canute or whatever, his inability to hold back the incoming tide, that's Peter Gabriel. You know learning to deal with his role of being a lead singer and all of his flattering admirers I'm like okay take take it easy guys you sold a hundred thousand copies in your home country okay just just take it easy you know you, you dress up like a like a woman just so people will come see your show all right so um don't tell me that they're overwhelming you when you're doing these things to get attention right but that is side one uh, of this epic album and then side two is It's really all suppers ready, the 23, 23 and a half minute epic. But mm. it starts with Horizons, which is a short acoustic thing from Steve, uh, based on a, on a suite for cello by Bach, because it is a little familiar some bits to it, I would say. But he does it so well. And like he said, when we spoke to him, there's nowhere to hide, really, when you're Doing acoustic, right? There's no sustain there. There's no right. feedback or bending, you know, to to hold those notes and stuff. There's no tremolo, you know, to to hide different things. And he, again, this is a confidence thing. He was kind of shocked. He played it. And he's like, well, they're not going to want this. But here's the thing, I like. And he's like, they're not going to want this. And when they said, yeah, we do want that. We're going to put that on the album. He's like
3: really you liked it (laughs) it it sounds great this is this is steve kind of the classic what you think of when you think of steve hackett playing acoustic like i think it would be horizons i think he said people a lot of people thought this was a part of suppers ready like a like a intro intro Mm -hmm. but it's a standalone piece i don't know really how you can I mean, at 23 minutes in one side, this is the only other song. I don't know right. how you could argue it's not, but it, 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 it. the intention was to have it be its own track.
1: And, and it is. I mean, what is it? One minute, 45 seconds? It's, it's not a super yeah. long one, but it's not part of Supper's Ready. Supper's Ready is a totally different thing, and it's beautiful. It's a very nice piece, and you can mm-hmm. play this in a lot of different settings. So honestly, it's a standout. I mean, it's not long enough... To necessarily be called a song I don't know but it's it's a great piece of musics performed very well and well I, I can't, I'm very hopeful I get to see him play that live absolutely but now we're into the epic of epics <laughs> <laughs> supper's ready. 23 minutes with seven parts, and we've got to include the odd little names of the seven suites, which is something Yes would do also, right? They right. Would, they would have some 18-minute epic, and it would have four different parts, and you would name the four parts, and you would even give people writing credits within the, the, the four parts or... The seven parts, as it were, here lots of going on. I, I guess that because they had grown confident as a live act, and they were touring different countries around Europe and getting great feedback, that gave them the guts to go out there and say, "All right, we need to we need to write some extended pieces, right? That are gonna that we're gonna pull off live, but that." you know, people can get into and it'd be like a classical piece of music. So, so that's, that's the way they took this thing. And uh, I mean, I don't know, I guess we start from the beginning. It's, it's <laughs> massive. It's massive. There's so much in here.
3: Yeah. I think they, they wanted to, at this point in time, they wanted to up their game as far as being able to stand toe to toe with a yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they needed something like this, like you said, with the different, the different parts to the one big song, like they did in, in close to the edge. Yeah, it, it, I can't even imagine how the creative process on this went, just because there's so much stuff in here. Like, where do you even start with this? Okay, well, I've got this, and these two things don't go together. <laughs> but I think if we worked them a little bit, we could make it part of this thing.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. You know, and, and and so the Horizons definitely sounds like a, something Steve Howe would put on a Yes record, right? It's just mm-hmm. a little, like just, right. whether it's its own standalone bit, or it's the intro of some... 20-minute song, that sounds like something Steve would do, right? So then, you go to Supper's Ready, there's a lot of 12-string, there's a lot of guitar bits to start this one, right? And part one, uh, which is lovingly called Lover's Leap. Ooh, Lover's Leap. It's the first four minutes of the song. You know, it could have been a single, I guess, if you broke it out, because it is pretty. It does kind of have its own story to tell, I suppose. (laughs) You know, again, it's, it's very soft. Lots of guitars, lots of 12 strings. Even Tony Banks might be playing 12 string on some of these. Okay. He would do that sometimes before the keyboard or the, the organ or whatever had to kick in. So yeah, I mean, it would be three guitars on there at some time. And then part two, which comes in a little before four minutes, which is called The Guaranteed Eternal Sanctuary Man. Mm -hmm. This kind of builds on something you're going to hear later almost as a reprise at the very end, as far as the way Gabriel delivers this these lyrics and the way the music goes, when they get to the last part seven, it's all very similar. So it's all, almost like this is the buildup telling the beginning of the story because it's kind of about Christ, is it not? You know, at some point of this, I don't know.
3: Well, it, I mean, this is that's the whole, kind of the whole underlying theme of the whole record, right? Is the, is the, because Gabriel was talking about like the, the actual Foxtrot, like if you take the numerology of all of the, and it comes back to, you know, if you work it hard enough, you can get 666 out of it, and, you know, the devil and the, you know, it obviously you had a lot of time to think about this, but yeah, yes. there isn't, there is an underlying theme of, of kind of, you know, religion versus pagan, yeah. uh, images, I guess, or, or themes in this record. And is this
1: talking about the last supper? Supper's ready? Is this Wait, right, right before right. he's betrayed by his own? Yeah. You know? who knows and is that a theme oh peter's about to be betrayed I'm like take it easy it's still a few years before they do lamb lies down on project
4: just <laughs>
1: everybody relax okay <laughs> but that second part i mean he's talking about a farmer and a fireman there's some nice parts to it you know mm-hmm. um and there's some weird kids singing along to it uh, at the very end and then about five forty-eight, five forty-five. 5 part three back to the guitars again but then it, it's like there's a certain, the waiting for battle it it, it picks up right it suddenly there's a bit of a there's a bit of a it's, it's a bit of a runner now right it almost phil is marching out a drum beat you know lots yeah. of keyboards steve is plugged in and suddenly it's jam you know <laughs> seriously part three which is of course ignaton and Itzakon and their band of merry men which is yeah. whatever it is yeah. <laughs> yeah. And could that be from the Bible? I don't know. (laughs) You're asking the wrong guy. But this jam is awesome. And Steve, does get a chance to use his sustain a little bit here mm-hmm. and, and put some real flavor on it while Tony is doing his thing. And again, this is a a song to itself, right? It's about four minutes, this part three. This is probably the bit that I like the best. I, I thought Steve showed really well. It's a good chunk. It's four minutes. It's not like eight minutes. It's not like one minute. I, I thought it was, I, I. it's kind of my favorite part of the, of the whole thing.
3: This is definitely more, yeah, more of the lively part. Collins is kind of flexing a little more here with his drumming. Um, this sounds like it's more of the band jamming together yeah I, w- I would i would agree with you on that this this is probably the best part of the song for me because then they get
1: to part four uh, just before the 10 minute mark which is you know how dare i be so beautiful and this might have been where peter would come out dressed as a flower sometimes yeah. <laughs> you know but it's only like it's it's you know it's, it's is it a couple minutes long is it it's i don't know that it's that long to be honest with you no it's like a, it's not even like a minute and a half and then he goes and then you see, Narcissus turns into a flower. And then you hear someone say, A flower? When he did this live in London, the audience was way into it. They all they all screamed at the same time, a flower. They were so into it. Like, oh wow, would you look at that? And then, of course, boom, straight into part five, Willow Farm, which is different. This is a game changer. Instead of acoustic guitars. Now you got that big, fat keyboard, Mellotron, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and they're starting to, you know, it's a bit weird in spots, this one. It's it's pretty heavy, and it does space out for a while, you know, uh, but this is, you know, I, I I don't know, this is more than four minutes on this bit. Again, this was the B-side, apparently, to Watch for the
3: Sky single, so. Oh, just, a, just this Willow Farm part? Just the Willow Farm part, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what is it, like four minutes and change? I mean, I guess it could be a standalone thing.
1: Yeah, yeah on track yeah and
3: there's a flute in there peter does the flute bit where they kind of slow down
1: with some spare acoustic parts this is another one that nad does a great job on live uh, because this is the kind of the game changer. this is a gear shifter right you got the mm-hmm. kind of spare narcissus turns into a flower a flower and then mm-hmm, it's heavy now and your voice has to pick up for that so it's not my favorite it's cool it's yeah. different but it's weird in some and, spots.
3: And then I wonder, too, like I've got I've got it written down that he this was actually originally a standalone track. And so how do you take this, you know, it, when you're in the creative process, how do you take this and say, no, 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 no here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this and we're going to slide it right into the middle of this other thing we're working on. OK, cool, because it's yeah, because from here it's going to get even weirder.
1: Yeah, it's one that Peter had written by himself. And I guess he went to Tony to say, okay, we got to change. It can't just be acoustic stuff. We need something heavy from you on that Mellotron. So that's that's the way that worked out. And then, of course, they get into part F somewhere in the 15th at this point you got, you're got you starting to wear out a little bit <laughs> 15 and a half minute mark 15 four I don't know it's 15 something it's Apocalypse 9-8 time co-storing the delicious talents of Gabble Ratchet which I don't know what that means I was thinking maybe it was made up of all their last names because there's a little Gabriel in there you could put a little Banks you could put a little Rutherford Hackett I don't know yeah, and I could grasping be, yeah. at straws there I don't right. know but very interesting bit of the song here man
3: yeah yeah, and and we're we're switching gears again. The nine eight time signature is is very strange, mm. but it works. But I mean, that's one of the prog rock uh, hallmarks too. Is yes, yeah. is playing in 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 strange time signatures. So again, flexing out, letting everybody know that hey, we we're we're at the forefront of this thing just like everybody it, just like the you know yes and these other people that we're trying to not not compete with but kind of walk shoulder to shoulder with
1: yeah well you could say compete yeah i think yeah. that's probably accurate yes was selling records yes was selling mm. getting gold albums and stuff like that so they they needed to kind of get there banks didn't think there should be any vocals when it was written he's like this is not a, there's no vocals going over this and he didn't think gabriel could do it and then as soon as he heard it, he's like oh yeah, that's that's great, you know, that's exactly what it is. So, you know, it sounds like Tony Banks needs to just let Peter Gabriel do what he wants to do.
3: And I don't think he wants to cease control. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think, I think and I didn't see it for anything with what I did research for with this record but I, I know for a fact Banks at some point in time said he was really thinking it was turning into the Peter Gabriel show and that's where he really got cranky that, oh, obviously Peter Gabriel is the mastermind of this whole thing and you guys just playing his been No, that's not how this works. I think, yeah, he always wanted to be in control. And I mean, who knows? If he'd have let him, if he'd have let him off the chain a little more, what would they have gotten? I don't know. Who knows? You know, and
1: He's wearing the dress with the fox on it. He's wearing the flower thing. But he he did, I mean, Phil Collins did say, you know, at some point, I think especially in America, there was basically a pink, you know, which one's pink kind of a thing. Like, hey, Pete, when you put that mask on, those kids went nuts. They love Mm -hmm. what you do out there, Pete. And it's like, it's not Pete. Okay. It's the five of us. (laughs) We're (laughs) a band. We wrote and play these songs together. But I do think this thing you know, finish is strong. These last two, Apocalypse and Nine Eight, and as sure as eggs as eggs, are, are fairly strong. Although as Sure as Eggs and Eggs to me is a reprise of uh, of part two there, and it obviously is. But I don't. Know, it, it's strong. It's a lot. Again, it's very dense. And now you're there's some some heavy chugging in there. You're talking mm-hmm. about the Pied Piper. You're talking about dragons from the sea. There's some odd lyrical pictures uh, pictures created here. Huge keyboard jam with a thumping bass. But it's also some scary organ type stuff and you know when you sing stuff like hey 666 is no longer below it's like Mm -hmm. oh we've taken a journey here where are we where are we doing here you know so we were in the good part now are we in the evil part oh no
3: (laughs) yeah it goes back to the whole religious overtones not terribly religious but i mean they they're doing they are giving you parts of it you know making you think how does this fit in with the rest of this yeah this does this does get a little bit weird i think they talk about something about how winston churchill dressed in drag is one of the uh yeah something i never wanted to think about but okay cool That's it used to be image. the british
1: flag yeah yeah <laughs> so
3: <laughs> very
1: odd but then after that it's back to the chorus and then ah It's kind of back to the acoustic stuff and and the build up to the end because the very end you talk about the lyrics which are so famous among Genesis fans when you're talking about Lord of Lords, King of Kings, he returned to lead his children home to take them to the New Jerusalem this is the summer of the mighty one so this could be very christian jc kind of based stuff right absolutely and then and that's how they kind of wrap it up so after 23 plus minutes yeah i mean you're like whoo whew, I made it, man, phew. Uh, but and Steve told us himself when, when he was on our show, as Jeff Downs kind of told us, you can't really improvise on any of this stuff because it all goes together in a certain way. And mm-hmm. so you can't really, A, you have to be true to it, B, you're going to throw off your bandmates if you decide to do something new. But at the very end, when there's some jimmy's, like at the very end of that, that's where I can kind of do my own thing.
4: The only time I get really to be spontaneous on that is during the play out. I do something like the established phrases that were done when it was multi-tracked all those years ago and then go off go off the plot and step through my noises and toys and and uh, uh, and all that kind of stuff and it's surprising how it goes some nights it can be 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 really great and other times i think you know i'm i'm just overplaying and it's not really cascading in the right sort of way but there are times you just got to go for it and say well I'm not going to be reverent at the end. I've done the whole thing as, you know, as far as it's written. This is it, the sermon on the mount. Here comes supper's ready. But maybe we get that little bit at, right at the end. And, and I, can, I can cut loose on that. And it usually ends up with the guitar sounding a bit like bird song in the end. I've usually got a backwards effect on it. And with my ring, I'm just circling the strings. And it sounds like tweeting birds. And it becomes another kind of music uh, right at the end. And... Um, I'm very happy, very happy with that.
3: And I can't even imagine doing this because I know I know they've done it live in the past. Trying to do this without fail because I mean, you mm-hmm. figure you if you watch the show, I mean, what what's a even a long track is what seven minutes, right? And then you get to take a little break, you know, a little sip of water, kind of reset yourself. This is 23 minutes of going straight through. Like you said, you can't make a mistake because you're going to throw somebody else off. There's a lot of material here. It's it's one of those okay, here we go, and I hope we see on the other side yeah and rutherford is switching between a 12 string acoustic to his bass of course eventually he had
1: one of those made so he didn't have to set one down and pick another one up he had just one built for himself right but even banks had a 12 string back behind his keyboard set that eventually he'd set down and then go back to the keyboards steve is probably switching you see steve sit down during a lot of these performances Mm -hmm. which is very rare for me if you're not a keyboard player or a drummer you stand and play but but he you know he had to concentrate on this stuff and maybe switch guitars too
3: yeah I, i've seen him do that before steve in concert and yeah that does it does look a little strange but you know when that's happening yeah this is this is okay folks this is the hard part It's time to, to focus yeah yeah
1: absolutely you know
3: <laughs> i think even didn't even ace freely say something about that like what do, you, what do you want you want me to dance around on stage you want me to play it correctly because the two things like you got like, to play it right you really have to concentrate and if you hit a wrong note I mean these these people are animals. Oh, I know. these Genesis fans the like prog rock super fans
1: on. who know every second of this 23 yes. minute epic yeah now when they did it live at the Palladium there was a break I mean not like a prolonged break but there's a big standing ovation you know okay. people applauding saying like yes you just pulled that off it was awesome you know, well done. We're all <laughs> glad to be here, kind of thing. And it, it sounds great on his new live album, which we were fortunate enough to get an advanced copy of. So. Mm-hmm. If you pull it off for the seconds out, then yeah, of course, go to Foxtrot next. Why not? Because you, you already know half the album, because that's half the album, right? So you know, <laughs> you only have to learn the other half of the album, and, and most of those he's been doing on and off for years anyway. The whole band knows Genesis Catalog so well at this point, because he's, he's done a lot of these, and I have every single one of them. I'm the sucker who buys all of them, and I'm going to be that sucker again, I promise you.
3: Well, I was going to say, we even asked him about that. At some point in time, we interviewed him. Is it hard to switch? between you know because for a while he had mm-hmm. to finish the Seconds Out show and then go right into a couple days later the Foxtrot stuff and he apparently he says the guys in the band they're so tight like you said they've done this for so long they can switch very easily they do a little and rehearsing. and so I'm curious and then to right see what
1: his set list is going to be because when he was doing Seconds Out Seconds Out's a double live album so that's that's a huge part mm-hmm. he could just do that for the night if he really wanted to he does yeah. He did five songs of solo stuff, including "Shadow of the Hero Fan," including "Every Day," which is my favorite. Clocks and um, and uh, he did a couple of new ones off "Surrender of Silence," which I assume he will continue to incorporate. But now, does he also maybe have an acoustic bit where he can do some of the stuff off or underneath the Mediterranean sky? Does he leave a lot of stuff from "Seconds Out" in, or does he rotate some of those out? And then bring in some other Genesis era hits, you know, that maybe he hasn't done in the last couple of years as much.
3: Yeah, you have to figure that probably there's a good portion of the of the audience that will be there for both of them. Like, you know, you're getting a lot of the people back to hear the Foxtrot stuff. So I would think, yeah, you'd have to change it out a fair amount you know if you did the Foxtrot and all the stuff that you did on the last tour people would be a little bit disappointed and i'm disappointed
1: that i'm not going to go see him at hammersmith the old hammersmith odeon now of course called mm. the inventum apollo or
3: something no stupid. no stop that don't do yeah,
1: that makes me mad
3: it's always the hammersmith i'm
1: going to be i think i'm going to be in america hopefully with you jackson doing something really cool with pantheon that we can't wait to tell everybody about but i i don't think i'm gonna be able to make that but if i know steve and i think i do because i've spoken to him uh, and which, which means we're old friends now and, and we'll probably be Correct. vacationing together you know in 2024 but he he will be touring this foxtrot at 50 for a while he's definitely coming to continental europe where i'm spending more time these days I'm sure he will come to America so you get the chance to see it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it'll coincide and we go together. Who knows?
3: That would be great. What, what did you think overall of, of the... We got to see a little bit of the video, mm-hmm. too. Um, what did you think about that? I think it's cool. It's great to see Amanda with him.
1: I, uh, uh, you know, look, I, I'll always buy the, the double CD DVD set every time. I don't always buy... He's really great about... You can go to his website and pre-order dot hacketsongs.com and you can get an autographed copy of it, you know. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that the the LP, the vinyl edition, may not come out till like, Thanksgiving time. I think I saw a release date of, like, November 25th or something like that. Because okay. there is a backup for vinyl production right now. But the CD, uh, it comes out on September 2nd, and that's, that's the one I'm going to go pick up at my local record store, wherever that may be.
3: But, I mean, it looked great. It sounded great. What I really liked was whoever did the editing... Mm-hmm. they always they focused on who you wanted to see if the drummer was featured boom they went to them there's a guy that's doing a whole bunch of stuff he's got the saxophone it's Rob the clarinet. yeah yeah he's he's working it back there they they, they uh cut to him so it yeah, the production looks great the place looked like it was absolutely packed and it was good to see amanda on stage with him yeah i don't have the notes do you know where they film that uh, which show that live was? Live in Manchester. Is it Manchester? Let's see. Yes. This is. What, I don't. I don't have the venue, but it's in Manchester. Okay. All right.
1: I don't remember those before or after I saw him. But at any rate, that's pretty cool, uh, and I'm glad that he does this. And this is what a artist of his stature and at this point of his career should be doing. Every time mm-hmm. you do a tour, especially if it's like a year long tour and a world tour, I mean, he did this on like four continents, maybe five. I don't know. You should put out a live album, and if you can put out a DVD, but but people want. To see you do it and even if they saw you live they want that memory of what it looked like right so not everybody I know can do video that that's got some expense attached to it but everyone should be able to do a a record uh, you know a live album of each tour they do and the fact that he makes sure that there's a video of it and then there's usually some kind of documentary about it too oftentimes I I think he's really good to his fans about putting out quality releases and doing it on a regular basis.
3: And I I think you're right. I think even people that went to the show would want a uh, momentum, uh, a souvenir of it, Mm -hmm. and also to go back and revisit it. And a lot of times if you do the video, like maybe your seats weren't that great. Like it sounded great, but you didn't really get to see everything that was going on if you were way in the back. So this is a good chance to to see what's going on, to see who plays what at uh, different points in time. I like the fact that he does his own stuff first. Right. And then goes into the the Seconds Out stuff.
1: It's like his solo stuff is opening for the classic Genesis stuff. Correct. Correct. Uh, And Amanda's playing with him on that stuff. So it's like Amanda and the Steve Hackett band are opening for the Steve Hackett band. Right. Which is pretty cool.
3: Yeah. And it, it was great to see her play. But when she sings mm. on Shadow of the Hydro oh, her voice is just, like, how could, how could it's not fair that somebody could sing like that and be able to play the guitar. She's incredible.
1: So, uh, it's so beautiful. And she doubles Steve on every day. Yes. Mm-hmm. The guitar part all the way through the epic solo. It's crazy. It's awesome. What's also crazy is our sponsors, RareVinyl.com, have, like, a rare first edition of Foxtrot that's not only in, like, really amazing condition, oh but it has, like, the advertising in it from, like, back in the day. Wow. Yeah. It's over 300 quid. But if you use our code podcast, you can save 10%. That at least knock the shipping off of it. But, I mean, for super fans, I can't believe that's still there. I bet that gets sold during this tour. Someone's going to see him or be so excited about the tour. It's like, I get first edition with rare stuff, mint condition Foxtrot. Let's go ahead and get that, you know?
3: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I can't imagine that it must have been in somebody's collection that either that passed away or something. Because I can't imagine anybody would part with that willingly. You
1: never know. It may, it may have been that they were kind of yes fans or something like that. Uh, they heard roundabout. Oh, okay. Well, Genesis, is like, they only hear, and then they hear some of these odd stuff on here. The Mellotron, mm, that's a little different. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I'm never going to listen to that again. And then, of course, now you got a pristine record, only been listened to once. It's in the Sits in the box mm. for forty years, but uh, uh, yeah, that's that's the fun about record collecting is finding those finding those mint condition, hard to find things, right. you know. Right,
3: especially in a sea of just junk, and you know you're going through. Now nah, this is not worth it. Whoa, what is this? Mm-hmm. Here's that. Here's this is what that's what makes it all worthwhile going through bins full of collections. Yeah, you get a second print foxtrot
1: that's a little beat up, fifteen quid maybe. First edition mm. mint condition with the advertising in it 350 quid it's you know you got to be a pro to understand that right. stuff but i'm just glad steve still does this and here's the thing people get into bands later in life or a new generation is born who never had a chance to see them in the 70s who never had a chance to see 80s a uh, big pop genesis either you know so maybe somebody's 23 right now and they are starting to get into genesis like wow this is really great can i go see them Of course, the answer now is no, Genesis is hung up and Phil Collins should be retired, God bless him. He is not in good shape. But if you wanna see a real member of Genesis celebrating this music, playing it the right way, you're lucky because you still got Steve Hackett to do it and he will tour. Everywhere. I don't know how many countries he's been to the last five years or 10 years, <laughs> but he will go South America, all over North America, all over Europe, obviously all over England, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Far East. He, he goes to Africa. I don't know if he plays dates there, but he will vacation there. So, I mean, he will get out there. So if, if you're getting into Genesis, if you're just discovering them, get into Steve Hackett get his live album that comes out September 2nd, uh, and then go see him on the Foxtrot 50 tour in England, North America, Europe, wherever he's going to go in these next year, you won't
3: be disappointed. If you like this stuff,
1: the way they do it is amazing.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and yeah, I, w- I would echo all of that, watching that, the video of it. If you can get your hands on that, it just adds so much to the experience. I would say go out and do that as well.
1: Yeah, Steve is not, I mean, he's it, it's his name on the bill, and he is center stage. But it's, it's not just a look at me. He shares the spotlight very well. You know, he lets other people do their thing, have their chance to, you know, coming from Genesis where everyone was so talented, you know, you have to give Roger King, his keyboard player, a little time to shine when he's doing the Tony Banks thing. You have to let Mads right. belt out these Gabriel lyrics, you know, and 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 do it the right way. You have to give everyone else a chance. And I think he he shares it very well. You can see from social media, there's a lot of camaraderie with the band when yeah. they're on the road, you know, and they all seem to get along well. It's not because maybe he's a benevolent dictator or maybe it's Joe who's really running the show and Steve can just say, well, it's her, it's not me. Uh, you know? <laughs> uh, but it all seems to, to come together very well uh, and, and it's something to behold live. Great lighting to go along with it too, as Chris Curran I think does their lighting. I'm gushing, I guess, but look they're coming to Utrecht in May, I think I'm gonna have to go see that and hopefully they'll also stop in Amsterdam if
3: I'm still around here. <laughs> you know, it is nice to see that because I think you're right. Like even watching the the end when they were doing the applause, it's it's he's conversing with people in the band. It's not like yeah. You work for me. Stand behind me. Right. You know, I take all the credit. So it it, it definitely looks like a band of, of people who enjoy playing together and put these shows on.
1: Well, thanks for tuning in, as always, guys, to episode number 92 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast. We talked about Foxtrot, Genesis Classic that turns 50 uh, right around this time here. Uh, And, of course, Mr. Steve Hackett, guest of the show, episode 87, and a little snippet from this show. He's touring on it. He's doing Foxtrot at 50 uh, this fall uh, and into next year. A big tour of the UK this fall. He's got to go to the States to do some make-up dates from Seconds Out. uh, And then I do believe uh, he'll be coming to Europe, and my guess is also America, or North America, anyway to do Foxtrot at 50 for all his fans over there. So thought it'd be a great time to release it. Big dates for Genesis coming up. What is it? The 6th of October, I believe it is, is the 50th anniversary of Foxtrot. September 2nd, right after this show comes out, is when Steve's live album, Genesis Revisited, Seconds Out and More, is coming out. And you can get it anywhere. You can get it at HackettSongs.com. You can also get an autographed edition, if that's what you want. You can do that at Uh They have it on LP in November. But right now you can get CD, you can get DVD, you can get autograph version. And I encourage you to do so. Then, of course, on the 9th of September, the next week, he kicks off his Foxtrot at 50 UK tour. So make sure you get your tickets for that. Foxtrot was obviously a big album for Genesis, though. I mean, they finally kind of found their way a little bit more with having Phil and Steve in the band. And obviously on the tour, Peter Gabriel got him some pub, right? Big press from wearing his wife's dress and the fox head on the stage. Got him some ticket sales in the U.S. Got him some more zeros in their paychecks. And then, of course, that led to them moving on to make the epic Selling England by the Pound uh, in 1973, which we did review I believe that it was on show 28, but it really showed, a lot of people consider that the pinnacle uh, of the classic Genesis era with Steve and Phil in the band. But, but this one was an important precursor, important to them in a big way, not only is gelling as a band finding their sound, getting out on the road and, and doing it live, it was big for them. Uh, and our buddy Steve Hackett is now celebrating that with the Foxtrot at 50 tour. So as usual, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Hey, you gotta let us know. You can email us uglyamericanWerewolf at gmail.com, or you could tweet or DM us. It's at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. We're trying to do a little bit of Instagram here, too. We're we're trying to figure out this social media thing, guys. We're not great at it. Uh, But we're working on it. And we appreciate everybody who follows us and everybody who has something to say. You know, let's get some banter going. Let's say what you like and what you don't like. Let's start some conversations. Of course, we have to say thank you to our uh, partners, Pantheon Media, Pantheon Podcast, with over 100 great podcasts out there, music podcasts for you. We appreciate dearly our sponsors at rarevinyl.com. And remember, if you go to rarevinyl.com or eil.com, and use the code podcast you can save 10% off not only your first order but every order you make with them over time and like we said in the show there's a really sweet first edition issue of Foxtrot available for anybody who wants it use our code you'll save 10% and of course we want you to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts wherever it may be Apple, iTunes, Amazon is big for us Good Pods once again put us in their top 10 we really appreciate it Good Pods it's a fun way to interact with folks But really, anywhere you get your podcast, please download, please subscribe, and please, if you think about it, if you do like the show, give us a positive review on any of those. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. And if you send it to us or we get it, we will certainly read it on the show. So, with that, folks, next week we're going to get into a classic that's having another big milestone for us. It was important for me and Jackson, uh, and that's Rush Signals. Turning 40, came out in 1982 with the classic subdivisions on there, but it was a pivotal time for the band as they were kind of moving on, growing up a little bit, changing the way they did things, incorporating some new sounds. It's a fun conversation. I think you'll like it. So, until next time, rock and rollers, to all of you all around the world. Be cool and
0: stay safe. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. I don't know. My mom and dead. My mom is right
4: there.
0: From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new True Crime History Podcast.